Welcome to the SCU Buzz podcast. Now, this episode, we're putting the buzz in SCU Buzz with Dr. Cooper Shooton. He's an environmental science and PhD graduate at Southern Cross University and, of course, a professional beekeeper. He is also the project leader for the university's Bees for Sustainable Livelihoods Research Group, and he's doing heaps of projects in the Indo-Pacific region for the Australian Centre for International Agricultural Research. He is currently in Fiji where he joins us right now. Welcome to the podcast, Cooper. Now, I'll try and refrain from as many bee puns as I possibly can, but I can't promise anything. Sounds sweet to me. (laughs) (laughs) So you have had such an extensive career. I don't even know where to start, but first and foremost, I'm very intrigued. What made you get into this in the first place? Uh, I think to be honest with you, I just had a passion for the environment. I was always interested in being in nature, camping, surfing, fishing, diving. Um, and it also just didn't sit well with me in my heart, knowing how many people there are in the world that go to bed hungry every day and they don't have access to education and healthcare and, you know, sustainable forms of income. So yeah, I did environmental science at SCU and then, um, went on to do my honours looking at the beekeeping industries in Indonesia and Timor-Leste and I just haven't looked back since. I've worked in Papua New Guinea and I'm currently in Fiji at the moment. So, yeah. I know you're in Fiji. We had to work out the time zones and everything to have this chat. (laughs) So tell me a bit about your work in Fiji at the moment. So at the moment, I'm leading a four-year project that's funded by the Australian Centre for International Agricultural Research and ACL is, is a, a term that we use to defer to them because of the verbose um, sort of acronym that it is. But the project um, that we're working on is seeking to improve the productivity and profitability for smallholder beekeepers in Southeast Asia and the Pacific. But at the moment, the project's in Papua New Guinea and Fiji. So it's about working with local partners here, um, government organisations, the Ministry of Agriculture, the Biosecurity Authority, the local beekeeping associations to try and find solutions to some of their problems that they're facing here. But also a lot of the skills and research that we're finding have applicability to the Australian beekeeping industry as well. Yeah, wow. For those that don't know, what are the problems that they're facing over there? Great question. I mean, pests and diseases is a primary one. It's a it's a big challenge in lots of different countries. Australia is the last country really in the world where we don't have this insidious mite called varroa mite. Uh, and that's been a major cause of colony uh, losses globally over the last sort of decade. So it's really good for us to be able to get a good understanding of how to manage that mite overseas before we get it in Australia. So pests and diseases is a major issue. Um, but it's also we're looking at programs for social inclusion to make beekeeping a more inclusive industry along the value chain. Um, we've got genetic improvement programs, there's marketing, economics, um, honeybee nutrition, so a whole range of things. But ultimately, education, extension and training are really critical. So we can develop lots of great information about how to produce more honey and make more profits. But at the end of the day, the, the teams that are out there need to make sure that the farmers can adopt those skills and implement them to change their practices to improve. Yeah, cool. So what would one day in the life of Cooper be like over there at the moment? <laughs> a lot of, I mean, coming over to Fiji sounds amazing. It's the most beautiful place to work and, and I always enjoy traveling, but I also see it as, you know, I have a big responsibility when I'm here. 
to achieve a lot of good things for people when I'm here, if that makes sense. So believe it or not, I'm not working on my tan at the beach. I'm usually <laughs> actually in Suva, in jeans, you know, with a button up shirt, having meetings uh, and that sort of thing, trying to, you know, working with the teams on some of the programs that we're working on and just looking at the data that they've been collecting out there in the field, often getting stung by bees. The bees over here aren't nearly as friendly as the locals, believe it or not. <laughs> so yeah, lots of beekeeping, running training days, um, collecting information, that sort of thing. Lots of emails still and meetings. Yeah, yeah, that's what they all say. It's okay. <laughs> it's a safe space. No, it does seem like you're working hard. And on the topic of bee stings, I remember I watched a video of you getting stung by a bee and you acted like it was nothing. Like When I get stung by a bee, I cry for like five days straight. I'm like, send me to hospital. I'm not okay. <laughs> Do you get like desensitized by it after a while? Yeah, I think you do. I think you just become more interested in managing and looking after the bees than you are thinking about, you know, the bee stings. But that's like the research that we're doing is really showing that, you know, if you've got aggressive bees, it's a real impediment to actually retaining knowledge. You, you're out there, you're just thinking, oh, goodness, I'm going to get stung by these bees rather than thinking about the biology and the ecology of the bees, which is really fundamental to running a successful sort of business, if that makes sense. So, yep, you definitely do desensitize to it. You don't swell up as much but it doesn't hurt any less. <laughs> <laughs> really? Is there anything that makes a bee more aggressive than other ones? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, bees, just like any other type of livestock, you've got to pay attention to these core pillars of, you know, good genetics, nutrition, you know, the technologies that are available. And so bees are no different. So genetics plays a really big part in that. And you can selectively breed bees to be more gentle, you know, just like other types of livestock, different colours, you can have golden fluffy bees that are gentle, more productive and easier to work and that sort of thing. So that's some of the projects that we're doing at the moment are looking at trying to improve the bee breeding programs, um, the supply of queen bees and building that as a business for smallholder beekeepers and that sort of thing. Wow, that's fascinating. If only you could do that with humans. We're going to make you a little more gentle. Thank you. <laughs> Subtle ways of going about it. <laughs> yeah, I can take over that one if you like. <laughs> it sounds good to me. So what's next for you? Obviously, this is a huge project and going for a while, but do you have any bee aspirations in the future that you want to work on or something on the bucket list? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I get a lot of self-satisfaction out of, you know, seeing people and organisations and industries growing, you know, and particularly at the household level where, you you know, you work with a farmer and you come back after a year and they're making more honey and they've, you know, put a roof over their head and their kids are going to school and that sort of thing. So to be honest with you, I'm already so grateful for what I am able to do currently and anything more of what I'm doing at the moment is just sounds like a dream to me. Yeah, right. And what's the biggest myth you've learned about bees? What's something everyone gets wrong all the time or something that you've learned that people might not know that you want to share? I guess one thing, I mean, a lot of people were mentioning stings before. A lot of people say I'm allergic to bees, but it's not the case. Very few people are actually allergic to bees. Um, and it's really important to know the difference between 
you know, when you're just the normal symptoms of being stung by a bee and when you're actually going to go into anaphylactic shock, they're pretty different things. There's general swelling and itchiness and pain and that sort of thing. It's pretty normal. But yeah, um, I'd say another one is probably, you know, lots of people believe that we need to save the bees. Managed honeybee populations globally have been increasing for a long time. There have been major declines in managed bees, but I, I think it's important that everyone considers, you know, the broader concepts of, you know, um, land degradation and environmental change and loss of habitat as primary driver of species loss, you know, and extinctions globally. And bees are a part of that picture, if that makes sense. So we do need to save the bees but we also need to save the 20,000 other species of bees that exist and all of the other insects and all the other animals that are associated with the environment, if that makes sense. So your work with Southern Cross University, obviously you're on the other side now teaching, but when you were studying, is there anything you learned in your degree with environmental science that has been really helpful for you in the real world now? Uh, absolutely. That's a very, very long list and I wouldn't really know where to start, to be honest with you. I think just having a holistic view of the complexities of, um, you know, creating sustainable solutions that can benefit people and the environment and the systems that we're working in, you know, coming from a background of environmental science. But now, you know, I'm working in a field that is very much around social sciences, in fact, and, and community development. And it's sort of a pathway that I didn't anticipate at the start. And I think it's from being out in the field and getting lots of you know, hands-on experience and having real connections with the tutors and lecturers to be able to have those sort of higher order conversations with them about the complexities, you know, surrounding a lot of the challenges that we face today has been, you know, pivotal. It's been absolutely essential to be able to, you know, carry that forward into a career. Do you have one moment that has been the most rewarding for you that you've felt like you're really making a difference? Besides, obviously, getting the opportunity to come on this podcast with me. Yeah, that's a hard one because there's just so many of them. And, and I get kicks every day, you know, like just seeing the confidence in some of my students growing and just their own personal development, you know, they wouldn't even know a lot of the time. There's a number of beekeepers and people that are, you know, they're beekeepers, but they're also, you know, a mom and a dad and they're a family and they're a farmer and they do lots of different things. And there's people out there in the most remote places that, I know so much about them and their life and they know a lot about me too and we're in touch quite frequently just informally as well and just to be able to have those relationships with people is you know in these wild and remote places it feels amazing and to be able to see the changes that happen firsthand like I was saying before you know you can see someone and they they really want to generate income from beekeeping and they see that it's not damaging the environment and they enjoy it but they're struggling and you do a bit of training and then all of a sudden they you know, come back and they've multiplied their hives and they're selling a lot of honey and, you know, they've tripled their production and, you know, the grass roof of their house isn't leaking anymore. They've been able to pay to get tin on there and it's fixed. And that sort of thing really puts a smile on my face. Say, for example, if I decided to one day get into beekeeping, is that possible for me or do I have to have some sort of background knowledge first? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think anyone can get into it, but I get part of the research that we're doing is really trying to do not necessarily more beekeeping, but doing it better. And it's about international agricultural research for development. So it's not just about bees, lots of other commodities as well that we look at, but it's about trying to do those programs better. So in answer to your question, yes, you can get into it, 
But I'd say that if you're going to buy a puppy, you wouldn't just go and get one. If you're going to buy a horse, you wouldn't just go and get one. There's quite a lot of thinking. And, and it's actually, that's part of the challenge for sustainable beekeeping development is actually, you know, not just for individuals in, in, you know, that want to make some honey, but also for lots of donor organisations that are trying to improve livelihoods in low and middle income countries is that we can't just expect bees to be healthy and happy if we put them out there on a paddock. You need to pay attention to genetics, nutrition, the flowering, you know, and actually learn something about them and manage them. Otherwise, they're going to become a biosecurity problem for all other farmers around you when they get diseases and that sort of thing it can be a major problem. So absolutely you can, but also you need to sort of take it seriously, if that makes sense as well. Don't just go and get one for the hell of it. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll rule that out because I'm not good at taking things seriously. I want to ask, okay, I've heard on the grapevine here um, and it may be fake news, so I need you to confirm a few things for me, all right? Is it true that your favourite singer is Beyonce? <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's Beyonce. It's <laughs> yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Okay, we'll miss bust that tick. Another one, apparently your favourite movie is the B movie. Is that true? I have seen it and I haven't seen that many movies, so that tells you something. <laughs> oh, really? Apparently it's one of the worst movies ever made. There's lots of subjective things in life. <laughs> We can't get into a debate about uh, good and bad movies. That's a long one. Okay. I just needed to get those puns out of the way and now I can finally be myself. I feel good. I did two and we're, we're good to go. We're fine now. <sighs> Deep breaths, everyone. Do you find that though, like when you introduce yourself, maybe you're at a pub and they're like, oh, what do you do? Mm. What's usually people's responses when you tell them? Yeah, that's an amazing question, you know, and I was actually thinking about that to myself just the other day, how it's changed over time and how I see myself, you know, and, and what I do. I think it changes depending on who I'm talking to. And it also depends on my feelings at that time about what I feel like talking about. At times it can be a little bit overly complicated to explain what I do. And sometimes I just like to say to people that I'm a beekeeper and I run a bee business, which I do. It's not, not the truth. But, and I just, you know, see what conversations come about it from that. But uh, it just depends where I, where I am, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I'd say I'm an academic and I work in agricultural research for development and I'm a beekeeper. Easier said than done, hey? Now, one of the reasons we do actually have you on this episode today is because you have a huge research project coming our way. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, yeah, so we've just been funded um, project through AgriFutures Australia, the Honey and Pollination Advisory Board, which is uh, funds that are matched by government and levied by industry. They've um, put up a project together that we've been successful in getting and it's putting a compendium together. So for those who don't know what a compendium is, it's a summary. It's basically research of research. <laughs> you're looking at all the research that's been done and you're summarizing it into something that's very uh, easily accessible for the target audience. So in this case, we've looked at all the industry levied research projects that came out since 1962, which is when the Honey Act came into play and the associated levy. Uh, and we've reviewed every research report that's come out from then till today in one page summaries. So you can go through this big book and you can work out all the research that's been done and work out the, you know, what happened and what the key take-home messages are for industry. 
Um, so it's a one-stop shop for a lot of those resources. And to be honest with you, you know, we, we take it for granted these days. A lot of information is just online, but, you know, a lot of these old documents were basically inscribed into stone, you know, <laughs> these things were, these were hand typed out and they're really difficult to find. They're in the back of someone's garage and had to do a, a lot of uh, treasure hunting basically to find a lot of these old reports and sort of bring them back out of the grave and work out what happened because um, the better we understand the past, the better we are prepared for the future, right? Yeah, exactly. You can only learn from the past. That's a full-on project, though, and definitely going to be a really helpful resource moving forward. How long did it take you to do all that, and how big's the team working on it? We've got a cool team, and i, I got to put that out there, that none of the work that I do would be possible without the amazing, beautiful team that I work with at SCU and all the other staff and colleagues, the people that I work with at ACR, the government, non-government organisations overseas and all the farmers that make everything possible. They're a big team and a lot of love that goes into it. So the Companion Project, we had a team of five people and it's take, we did it in about eight months. So it was pretty fast, had a lot of writing to do, but the team pulled it together, which is pretty impressive. And it's going to be presented um, at the third Australian Bee Congress down in Sydney in early June this year, which I'll be flying into next month. So looking forward to that. Amazing. And then once it's out there, how can people get their hands on it? Is it going to be just digital or? Yeah, I mean, we have to, um, you know, commit to that thing that we put at the end of our email signatures, which is, you know, please be green, read from the screen. So I don't think we're going to be printing out hundreds of them because this is a huge document. It's like 400 plus pages. Um, So we'll print off a few of them. Uh, there's a couple of wizards out there that really want to get hard copies. They can purchase them online uh, via AgriFutures Australia website. But yes, it'll be downloadable, probably most likely for free uh, online, probably by the end of the year, I would imagine. So if they've done all the formatting and that sort of thing. And not only that, I mean, the project's not just reviewed them, but we're in the process of scanning a lot of the older documents that aren't currently available online. So there's going to be a lot of new research. And when you read one of the things in there, you can go and find out more and they should be available online now. Wow, that is an epic project. I know it would be hard to remember with 400 pages, but do you have one standout research point that you really didn't know that fascinated you from your learnings or is that just too hard to answer? I think, to be honest with you, I mean, yes, it's hard to answer, but you've got to find some sort of a, uh, some sort of an answer to it. I, I'd say for me personally, one of the most interesting things was looking at how, you know, research, development, education, extension, strategic priorities and how the industry actually developed. I mean, there's aside from the individual pieces of research, which is just, you know, super fascinating for, you know, young and aspiring bee researcher and for the team who are also bee researchers, you know, it's great for us to, you know, look at a lot of these documents and see what's done, you know, when we're reviewing proposals and new projects in the future on panels, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel. We sort of can build on what's already, already happened in the past. But for me personally, it was really great to see how the Australian honeybee industry came to be where it is today and, and how the panel evolved and what their strategic priorities were and um, the projects that were funded and, and how our knowledge has changed over time and the impacts that that research has created in terms of, you know, developing a, a really profitable and productive um, progressive industry going forward. And for me personally, that's, you know, really important when I come to low and middle income countries to be, thinking about setting strategy, where does the industry look? What's it going to look like in five to 10 years from now? They're the big higher order thinking questions that we need to be sort of answering, not just sort of 
shooting in the dark. So for me personally, that was probably one of the most interesting things coming out of it for me. So obviously we know your work is about bees, but if we dive deeper, what is your research looking at and unpacking it when we dive in? That's a great, great question. Um, Yeah, so a lot of people do know that I'm the bee guy and it is about bees, but ultimately it's about trying to create sustainable income streams for rural communities in developing countries. And it's about beekeeping, but it's also about our foreign aid policy. And that's a barometer, you know, is our relationship with Pacific Island countries. There's some of our nearest neighbours to Australia and our trade agreements with lots of other countries are really important to our Australian farming systems. Um, And so it's a part of it is not just about the bees. It's about creating relationships and meaningful relationships and partnerships with a lot of these organisations overseas that we can try to be better informed to understand how these industries are working together and how we can collaborate and find out information that can be of use to both partner countries and back home in Australia as well. Last year, big news as well. You won Early Career Alumnus of the Year with our Alumni Impact Awards at Southern Cross University. Talk to me about how that felt. That was great. That was, that was excellent. I mean, it was a really nice surprise, to be honest. I just got out of a, a big slog of some research and teaching at the time, and it was just a really nice, you know, sort of pat on the back as a sort of piece of encouragement. And I really appreciated that sort of support from peers and colleagues and that sort of thing. So, yeah, no, it was excellent, excellent to receive that award. It's just so cool seeing different fields and different people's work. I mean, that's one, one, one of the main reasons why I like working at SCU and being there as well. I mean, you, you just don't know who you're going to bump into. You walk down the corridor or out getting some lunch and you just bump into all these amazing people that have just dedicated such a significant proportion of their time and their life and their resources to understanding something so fundamentally, you know, and with no bias. It's just like absolute truth. Like it's either we, we know that through the research or we or it's not sure yet and you just get these really straight up sort of answers. It's just such an amazing place to be. You just don't know what, who you're going to bump into and what they're studying, what their field is. I've learned so much about different fields. I'm like, how many degrees yeah. can I do until it's too much because I just want to do all of them now it's pretty bad the best investment you can ever make is your education quote my pop (laughs) so true get that on a Kmart canvas on my hallway or something (laughs) that's beautiful um thank you so much for joining the SCU Buzz podcast thanks for having me really appreciate it (laughs) 